again, everybody. This is John Norris at Trading Perspectives. As always, our good friend Sam Clement. Sam, say hello. Hey, John. You doing okay? I'm doing awesome. As always, I've got to ask you this. I ask you this every session. You looking forward to the weekend? Of course. Well, right. You got big plans, I think. I don't. You see, because Sam is a much younger individual than I am, and so I, I'm always assuming that he has much bigger plans than I. We're trying to live vicariously through him, so that's the reason why I ask. Now, the thing is. Do you think maybe you'll go listen to some music this weekend? I guess so. What kind of music do y'all listen to? Mostly country, honestly. Not not radio country. A lot of... I like to make that clarification. Not the stuff that's on the radio okay. nowadays. Right, or George Strait, Alan Jackson. Oh, some of that old country, huh? Hmm. Older. <laughs> <laughs> Real outlaw country, those guys. Yeah. I, uh, yeah the, reason, the reason why I asked you that is I was out for a drive, and we have different music tastes. I don't listen to a lot of country, older or otherwise, whatever you say. I was listening to a little Sinatra. Um, this gentleman by the name of Frank Sinatra, which... I like Sinatra. Okay, there you have it. Well, you might know that he sang a tune. Also, Kermit the Frog sang the same tune. I think Kermit was singing... I don't know who did whose first, but the song was, It's Not Easy Being Great. It's a little chicken and the egg. Yeah, it's a little chicken. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who's the chicken, who's the egg, but I certainly wouldn't have called the Sinatra chicken back in the day. Might have ended up in the East River. Your thoughts on that, Sam? Not sure an egg's much better, though. Well, I don't know. But in any event, I was, I was listening to a little Sinatra earlier today on the way into work, and actually I listened to that song. It's not that easy being green. What do you think about that? Going to take a little deeper dive into that. We are going to take a little bit deeper dive in that. Well, Let's it might seem it. kind of cloying. I listened to that song for a particular reason because recently, actually this week, as we all know, the Democrats, uh, led by your favorite uh, Congresswoman from New York, um, released something called a Green New Deal with the United States. Well, Sounds Green great. New Deal. Sounds awesome. You know, have you read any of it? I have. Okay, I have a me. few questions for it. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what you know? And then I'll tell you what I think I know, and then we'll debate whether or not this is good policy for the United States, or whether or not what we have released, what the uh, Congresswoman has released, uh, whether or not that is even policy at, at all, as opposed to, say, a wish list. Well, I mean, it's simply just a complete revamping of everything from the farmland that we have, the animals on it, to the buildings, making them... Uh, energy efficient to also completely getting rid of any non-clean completely renewable energy source in the next 10 years what do you think about that that's gonna be tough to get <laughs> that timeline alone i mean getting anything done these days in 10 years seems a little tough <laughs> say, i mean we say, got 59 over here they're gonna be working on that for 10 years let well, alone you're right about that uh listen in reading it now i went to her website and i pulled pulled it off and uh, i've read it three four times at least what is the resolution, I guess, is what you say. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily legislation. That's that's where the devil gets into the details. And I would tell you that the resolution, as it were, um, is terribly idealistic. And it sounds like a perfect world. And I, there are a lot of things in here that I think the average person with the average heart would have a hard time disagreeing with. I mean, truthfully, you know, we all want to live in a clean world, a clean environment where smoke doesn't fill the skies, where everyone is equally marketable where everyone lives in a nice house where all this stuff it is the certainly the ideal that we should be striving for in some form or fashion it's almost like a lake wobegon 
if you catch my drift. I don't. You're going to need to fill me in Lake with that Lake Logan one. was a radio series on NPR by a guy named uh, Garrison Keeler, where all the children are above average. Okay. So it is almost like a Lake Wobegon type deal where everything is a little bit perfect. And who could argue with that, Sam? Sounds great. I mean, that's the that's all these deals they come out with or all these resolutions, all these plans they come out with. They're not going to come out with something that doesn't sound awesome that makes it tug on people's heartstrings a little, maybe. Oh, without a doubt. That's the reason why it's so popular. Because it does tug on people's heartstrings. And it's hard to argue with. You sound very mean-spirited if you say, no, I'm not for that. I want a dirty river. I want foul air. You know, but the truth is, no one wants that stuff. Right. No one wants that stuff. It all depends on how much we are willing to give up in order to get all of this. And if that's even the best way to go about doing that. Not necessarily, okay, say maybe everyone is willing to give up certain liberties, whatever whatever you have to reach this goal, but say that's not even the best way to get that. What if the best way to get that is less regulation, maybe? Well, I mean, you're, you're hitting on something there. But, uh, but truthfully, I mean, what, what I mentioned beforehand, what are we willing to give up to get these ideals, if you will? And I, I would, I would uh, you know, caution everyone to read this. I think it's worthwhile reading. Uh, and, you know, I've, I'll be honest with you, and I might, at the risk of offending some people, um, I've actually laughed out loud at some, some of these issues. Not necessarily because the thought process or the heart wasn't in the right place. It was because it was so hopelessly naive in a lot of ways. But you have to kind of think about it. You can't read it with your heart. You have to read it with your brain to realize that it is hopelessly naive. Take on page 7 on the resolution uh, number E, upgrading all existing buildings in the United States and building new buildings to achieve maximum energy efficiency, water efficiency, safety, affordability, comfort, durability, including through electrification. That doesn't sound that bad, does it? Sure. However, uh, in order to do that, I guess everyone that owns a home, well, let alone a piece of commercial real estate, would probably have to get all new windows. Yeah. Get a brand new roof. Uh, probably, probably new insulation. Buy, buy brand new insulation, get a new hot new water. New plumbing. All... New plumbing. Uh, new, new wiring in the house. Get all the, way, all the way up to whatever standard of greenness is. And so we're sitting there thinking about this. Oh, gee whiz, well, who can argue with that? Well, how many tens of tens of thousands of dollars would the average homeowner have to spend, if not hundreds of thousands, and they spend all this money, what happens if this is a mandate from the federal government? What happens if this is a mandate, you spend all this money, what happens to the market value of your house? Nothing. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. Exactly. Because you would have no efficiencies greater than anyone else. So you would have plopped all of this money into your house making these improvements for no net monetary gain for yourself, meaning that you have spent all this money. It's really a loss. It's really a loss. Your net equity goes down. Yeah. So average household wealth in the United States, while we have created economic activity by the purchasing of all these things, your net worth has gone down. Right. Do you see the part where it said where they would get the funding from this or for this? What are you talking about? I guess kind of printing well, money. It was def- definitely yeah, it's that, yeah, long story to sum it up, mm-hmm. it's printing money. So I guess another part of this deal is free Sharpies for everyone to <laughs> add extra zeros to the ends of their dollar bills. So, so another another way another one what I thought was kind of kind of humorous. 
um, is on page eight, also in the resolutions uh, six. I mean, not six, but G, working collaboratively with farmers and ranchers in the United States to remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural uh, sector, uh, sector as much as is technologically feasible, including subsection one, by supporting family farming. That sounds great. And certainly that's Jeffersonian yeah, it and his awesome. ideals, a family of yeoman farmers. Uh, Sam, I'm going to ask you this one. Outside of some high-end restaurants and whatnot, how is this nation fed? Is it by yeoman farmers, peasant farmers, 100-acre plots, family farming? No, it's the two ninety nine chicken and beef that you can get. <laughs> it's, it's by agribusiness. It's by the Imperial Valley of California, right. the massive farms in, in the Midwest. This is how we feed our massive population, not through 100-acre plots. So I'm reading all this stuff, and it sounds great. It sounds great, but just economically speaking, you can punch holes in it like nobody's business, promoting the international exchange of technology, expertise, products, funding, and services. I have a feeling that the Department of Defense would have something to say about that. I, th I think a lot of people would have something to say about this. <laughs> my, my favorite part about it is the uh, where, she's, where they go on to say they will support people Unable to work, which is one thing, but not only that, people who are also unwilling to work. <laughs> that is a big difference between unable and unwilling to work. So I'm really. <laughs> <laughs> they took they took that one down, by the way. They, they, they did take that one down, but that was up long enough for a lot of people to read it and spread that around. But that was certainly up. Another thing, if you go to page ten, and this is one that I've really kind of lost me on this one. Uh, to achieve uh, the Green New Deal goals and mobilization, a Green New Deal will require the following goals and projects. Here it is. Providing and leveraging in a way that ensures that the public receives appropriate ownership stakes and returns on investment. Notice that. That the public receives appropriate ownership stakes and returns on investment. Sounds like something else that we've talked about before. Well, that certainly doesn't sound like the private enterprise system. Does not. That the public receives the benefit of the investment as opposed to the actual owner of capital. So if the owner of capital is not receiving the benefits of the investment, that would assume that the public is the owner of capital. Right. And that is certainly not capitalism. It is not. So. It's one of these things that guys, you know, I mean, certainly Sam, you're a guy, I would sit there and tell you, listen, a lot of this stuff is absolutely fantastic. And it's hard to, hard to argue against some of this. But at the same time, you're kind of coming up with how in the world do we make this happen? And some of this really does seem like it's, it's written by people, it's written by hearts as opposed to, to heads. And when you take a look at some of the co-sponsors on the bill, while they're all intelligent or at least intellectual, well-meaning individuals, I can't find. We'll say well-meaning. Well-meaning, well-meaning. I have not. I cannot find someone that has actually been responsible for meeting a budget, for someone that has had to meet a quota or had to read an income statement or actually run a business. And it's a lot harder than maybe some of our politicians think it is. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I know they, the examples they bring up in the resolution about how they get this done, they bring up uh, the planes that we built in World War II, how no one thought that was possible. Uh, they bring up, what is it, the highway system. Mm -hmm. You know, all these examples of times where the government stepped in and provided a good to the public like that that 
Well, seem I, to work I, out. I think the building of the interstate system is a little bit different. I agree. Eisenhower built that for a couple of reasons. One, he saw how Nazi Germany had built the Autobahn in order to move the military around the country. Right. Uh, and he wanted to do that, but then also to move goods and services throughout the country. It wasn't some sort of necessarily altruistic thing. It was actually to promote commerce. Sure. As opposed to reach a goal such as, you know, whatever your take is on uh, climate, climate change. It was a market efficiency thing, really, in a sense. I mean, to make market flow better. Yeah. And listen, like, I'm not saying that the government doesn't have some role in the C plus I plus G equation. By definition, it certainly does. However, it all depends on what percentage of the C plus I plus G equation we want G to have. And that's that's ultimately where it is. I mean, when you when you read this, when you read all the verbiage, the entire resolution of the Green New Deal, it's very easy to assume that the that the writers, the sponsors of it, would would want to have a much greater G component of C plus I plus G. Whereas I am cut from a much different cloth, I believe you are as well, I would like to see a much larger C component of the C plus I plus G equation, or I component. I'd like to like to keep G as small as is possible. While well, it's just kind of a math equation, really, at least the way I've been taught it, and I'm assuming the way you've been taught it, with C being 70% of something, yes. and G being what, like 10%, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. So if we increase, if you put a hundred dollars into something that's getting you ten percent back, or a hundred dollars into something that's getting yeah. you seventy percent back, which one's going to keep growing more? You tell me. Well, I, I'd hope we'd both say C there. <laughs> I wanted you to answer your own questions, Sam. Well, the thing is, going back to that equation, C plus I plus G plus or minus net exports. Obviously, the equation has to equal hundred percent, correct? Right. So if we increase G significantly from say the seventeen eighteen percent now, say we double it. By definition, C and I would have to shrink. Yeah, which means that the private sector, by definition, would have to uh, have to shrink, if if nothing else, on a relative basis. And I have yet to find an economic example where G grows exponentially, in the equation, crowding out the private sector and have the private sector thrive. I can't think of one. I can't think of one either. But going back to the original Green New Deal and why I believe everyone's heart is in the right place and why I don't think it will actually work, uh, it's, again, who doesn't want it? Who doesn't want clean air? Who doesn't want a reduction in income inequality and wealth inequality? I think these are all very noble aims. It's just a question, what is the most efficient way of doing it? And besides that, if I keep on coming back to one simple thing, Sam. If we really are serious about doing something about man-made climate change. That man is the cause of this significant change in climate or global warming. What is the most efficient, the actually the only way that we can lessen man's impact on the environment is what? The only, the only true way. Everything else is pushing on a shrug. Let's hear it. It's to reduce, to reduce that, we have to reduce the number of people. I'm not going first. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not volunteering, because when you create people, I don't care carbon neutral, all that stuff. When you create people, they need to be clothed, they need to be fed, they need to be shod, and they need to have a roof over their heads. By definition, individuals and every every living creature on this planet consumes resources. Well, and I would even argue that regulating some of the stuff they're regulating now in the United States is making it worse for the environment because if you look at a map of per capita 
the most polluting places in the country or in the world. I mean, none of them are in the United States. It's over in China. It's over in Africa. It's over in Brazil, South America. I mean, these places just are horrible polluters. And then we are regulating ourselves more and it pushes a lot of that energy outward instead of creating it more in-house per se. Well, the, the drafters of this le- resolution would say that they put adequate safeguards in there to ensure that, you know, that doesn't happen, that we aren't doing this to our own detriment and what have you, and that we'll penalize people that offshore production and all this, that, and the other thing. Um, that remains to be seen. However, what I think this really, truly does, um, by, by the time the dust settles and the smoke clears, I don't think this resolution will gather a lot of steam. It sounds great. I'll be subject for much discussion. I don't think it will ultimately go through the, the Congress at all. Even if it were to pass the uh, House, it would fail miserably in the Senate and certainly be vetoed by the President, and neither neither House has the necessary votes to override a presidential veto. Uh, so I'm not worried about any of any I don't of think it. anyone's really entertaining it. It's, it's not entertaining. It's a talking point right what now. What the problem with it is for, I would say, the Democratic Party, is that what this does is it lurches the party way to the left. Way to the left. So some of those say West Virginia Democrats. Or even Alabama Democrats. Right. Uh, I allude to West Virginia thinking of all the the coal industry up there. So it is uh, it's certainly very interesting uh, and people would argue this is certainly um, conversation that we need to have climate change and what have you and had we left it maybe just simply a climate change as opposed to the um, economic initiatives that are in the remainder of the Green New Deal, uh, perhaps it might not be as potentially divisive, dare I say, as it might be in its current construction. Still divisive, but a little less so. (laughs) Without a doubt. So, Sam, here we are running up against the end of it. We always like to try to keep it between 15 and 20 minutes or 17 minutes right now. I'm not sure if we traded perspectives today. But we certainly did talk about something that's going to be making the headlines, not just this week, but certainly for weeks to come. And it really could be things like this, resolutions like this from a small segment of the Democratic Party, which drives the presidential and national elections in 2020. I'd love to see that. (laughs) So, Sam, you got anything else for today? That's all I got. Likewise. As always. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you all. So if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. You can send us an email to tradingperspectives at oakworthcapital.com, or you can leave us a review on the podcast outlet of your choice. If you're interested in hearing more of what we have to say, you can always check us out on our blog, Common Sense, underneath the Thought Leadership tab at oakworthcapital.com. As always, if you liked what you've heard today, please follow me and tell your friends, neighbors, and loved ones about the good stuff that you're hearing here. If you didn't like what you heard today, by all means, please tell those people that you don't like about the awful stuff that you heard. Maybe they'll tune out. In any, in any case, by all means, just please let your friends and neighbors know. So with that, this is John Norris. Sam Clint. Y'all take care.